Hello and welcome to the first Yancey Street special of 2023, Big Barda and Scott Free, the indisputed best comic book couple. This is a complete 180 from last year's Toxic Comics Romance special, uh, which we now will be featuring the indisputed best couple in comics, Barda and Scott Free, Big Barda and Mr. Miracle. Now, how is it that I can say that they are the indisputed best? Well, if you just Google the couple, you can see on a single page of Google results the following headlines. How Big Barda breaks the stereotypes of marriage. Big Barda and Mr. Miracle have a loving relationship with plenty of sex. Big Barda and Mr. Miracle, comics' best couple. Mr. Miracle and Big Barda are our comics' relationship goals. Big Barda and Mr. Miracle can teach us a lot about love. And finally, Relationship Roundup, Big Barda and Scott Free. And you can find all of those articles linked in the uh, description below if you are interested in seeing any of the sources that I have gotten things from. Um, DC Comics obviously being the main one, but anything else that I found across the internet is all linked below. Before we get too much into Scott and Barda and Big Barda on this special, um, I would like to talk a little bit about the podcast just really briefly. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. I hope that you learn something new and that you enjoy what you hear here. Um, you can join the, G the Yancey Street Discord, which is just a fun place for any kind of discussion of anything you really want. Um, also where you can find links and images and things that are mentioned in the regular podcast episodes all in one place there. My social media, easiest to find me at is Instagram. My username is Anna with the comics. My Twitter is Savage She Geek. And most importantly, my website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com where I have a lot of information on reading orders of characters. I'm going to be updating Bard as a reading order. Um, I have a good chunk of her, um, information that I have personally read myself. Um, and I have a number of those things transcribed and uh, kind of put into a easy to read, easy to digest version on my website, among other female characters who I've done the same for and many of which who I've also done podcast specials about with those notes. You can also find the podcast notes, which I follow along with as I go through each episode, so you can follow along with them as well if that's easier, and also for the hearing impaired so everybody can keep up with the podcast. The podcast is available everywhere that podcasts stream, including YouTube. They're all posted in a single playlist format if that's easier for you. I also post action figure review videos on YouTube. I'm hoping to get the re-release of Shenron in in the next few days, and I will be putting up a review of him as well. Please feel free to rate and donate to the podcast, share it with whoever you want. All of the above will be extremely helpful in the survival of the podcast and the growth of what I would like to be this very nice community. So we're going to start by covering strictly pretty much Barda. We're going to cover, um, first thing I'm going to have to talk about here is a little bit of explanation for the whole pre-crisis, post-crisis. What's continuity in DC now? What does that mean? What year is it? Uh, we're going to cover a little touch, just touch on that, the tiniest bit. You don't need to know that all that much, thankfully, for Barda. Uh, a few key appearances of hers, key issues of comics if you want to collect hers. We have a number of very interesting alternate versions, including a version that we see in Future State across a number of titles, uh, various statues and action figures that she's had. We have some very interesting notes on her creation, i.e. talking about Jack Kirby. Uh, then we have her abilities, her personality, her outfits and appearances, 
the teams that she has been on, a little bit of in-depth on her various relationships with other heroes and characters in the DC comics. And then I want to make a note on Cecil Castellucci's Female Furies series, which was something that was actually life-changing for me to read, and I cannot recommend it enough. So I'll talk about that one finally before getting into the couple history, talking about Jack Kirby's fourth world over there at DC Comics, the origins of Scott and Barda, and where they go post-marriage. I also have a number of relationship points of interest, things that make them uniquely a great couple, especially among comics couples. And then we're going to discuss Tom King and Mitch Gerrits' A landmark series, Mr. Miracle, which ran, I believe, from 2017 to 2019. It is not DC Black Label, and that's going to be something that we talk about and how that kind of lands it canonically. Then we'll have a brief note on the failed, i.e. we will never see it, Tom King, Ava DuVernay, New Gods Project, R.I.P. And finally, we'll land at where does that leave Barda and her boo in 2023, which is a great question. And we'll end with, of course, what will necessarily have to be an explanation on Dark Side is. So getting started with this Barda backstory, let's dive right in, starting with the little bit of note on the pre-crisis versus post-crisis over here at DC Comics. It's a little bit complicated. You will hear characters referred to as um, being pre-crisis or post-crisis or their canon history is different on one side or the other. Well, here you go. So following the Bronze Era of comics, DC's modern age is largely recognized as the beginning with the 1985 and 1986 Crisis on Independent Earth crossover series. Crisis yielded to not only the end of an era, but also the omniversal reboot of an internal history of the major projects. Many characters and events that are germane to the continuity of Earth-1 are said to be a part of the Bronze Age. Most of the modern age continues and occurs on New Earth. Now, there's a number of things when we're talking what's happening right now at DC Comics, they're kind of trying to fix that so that those characters who um, were the Bronze Age characters, they're trying to pull all of those back into DC continuity, to prime continuity there. Um... All of that being taken into account, yes, Bardo was originally introduced during DC's Earth-1 era of publication there, prior to what you would call the modern era, her existence following the events of the Crisis Unlimited Earths, sorry, Crisis on Earth Limited series, it does remain intact. There isn't anything that happened during the Crisis run and her history um, and post-Crisis that does not just latch over and continue. It's all, um, all, all of Barter that we see in comics, unless otherwise stated in that series, is canon Barda. So there we go. Crisis did not fudge her history at all. Now what Crisis did do was um, kind of started this, the whole joke that we know of every so often DC Comics likes to reboot things. And we even saw that with Marvel a couple of years ago. Uh, I believe it was after New 52. But with all of these reboots and such, New 52, as I just mentioned, was one of those uh, point blank starting from zero, reboots of the DC universe. And it's noteworthy that Barda and Scott Free were not actually parts of New 52 necessarily. They were on Earth 2 during New 52, um, up until the very, very last arc of the entire 
um, DC Comics for New 52, which was Dark Side Wars. And then finally, we see Barra swoop in and save Scott, and it's fantastic. Prior to New 52, from really the uh, uh, time where she and Scott come from their homeland to Earth, up until Crisis and uh, even some of the team books beyond, much of what we see Bard in, if she's not being showcased in a Mr. Miracle series, which were happening here and there, she would be showing up in um, other solo one-shot issues. She shows up on this one adventure. She was in a lot of, uh, not a lot, but in a fair amount of Superman stuff. And it's not necessarily all Scott and Bard. It's, for a lot of that st time, it's... Scott doing one thing while Barda is doing this other thing, popping in and out of other books. And honestly, to this day, that's still pretty much where we get the most Barda. You know, we, we've seen her in Deceased by Tom Taylor, which is obviously not canon. Um, and then these other ones, I'm not entirely sure, but the uh, the DC Pride special, we saw her in a Nubia story. She was in a fun... Um, I guess you would say, Ladies of DC story in the Harley Quinn romances this year, the special for that. She was apparently in the Joker Man Who Stopped Laughing number three very briefly. Barda will pop in and out of comics and other characters' histories uh, eternally, it seems. Uh, and that's kind of what why a lot of her history... Um, surrounding crisis specifically, why none of that was, why none of her history was changed due to that, because she doesn't, she hasn't really had a whole lot of storylines focused just on her. But we have a ton of information about Barda and characterization about Barda because of how much writers do love her and they do love to put her in these other little like one shots and one arc of their story and whatnot. So we do get to pick up a lot from her for that. Now Scott. Um, <laughs> To be honest, for myself personally, much of Scott's relevance really begins and ends with his relationship with Barda. Um, and we'll get into their relationship and why it is so fantastic a little or further on. Before I get too far ahead of myself, let's go ahead and jump into history of Barda. Starting off with the key comics for Barda, her first appearance was Mr. Miracle Volume 1, Number 4 by Jack Kirby. Yes, she was a Jack Kirby character. She, the female Furies, all of that. This is no females taking over things. This is always how it has been. She marries Scott in volume, I'm sorry, volume one, issue 18 of that Mr. Miracle series, which I believe was also the last issue that Kirby himself wrote. She does die in comic book history. Her original death was, well, really the only time that she has died was in Death of the New Gods, issue number one. However, she was seen alive in the end of that arc in Final Crisis number seven, where it's kind of revealed that all the new gods who were killed are actually alive, and it kind of leans into being something like um, the Hell Lords over at Marvel. Like, if you kill them, they just pop back up in their own domain. Really pissed off. <laughs> and then, of course, her reemergence after she was, um, after everything really, and a new 52 was Justice League Volume 2, number 46 through 50, aka The Dark Side Wars. Barda can be seen all across the DC multiverse, including other forms of media. We'll start listing a few of those off here, starting with, as I already mentioned, Earth 2, which is pretty much where the only Barda of New 52 really resided. She was the Earth 2 Barda, and she was loyal to Darkseid. Um, for, for an extremely quick history lesson here, Barda and Scott are 
Um, they are new gods. They um, were created very close to the source, and therefore they are basically godlike entities, as are all the rest of the new gods of New Genesis. And then there's the um, Apocalypse, which is like the evil side. So you basically have New Genesis, which is heaven, and Apocalypse, which is hell. And you have Dark Side, who is Satan, and you have High Father, who is God. That's more or less the general like metaphor of the new gods. The thing that makes them kind of interesting is uh, Darkseid had a son, Orion, and Highfather had a son, Scott Free, or whatever. I don't think he even had a name at that point. But they traded sons in an attempt to sign a peace treaty, basically, with one another so that Highfather would raise Darkseid's son and Darkseid would raise Highfather's son. Well, for Orion, that was great, but for Scott, who ended up with the name Scott Free... He was raised in Granny Goodness's orphanages, which on Dark Side is basically uh, on Dark Side Apocalypse is basically the worst place that you could be raised. Uh, and Barda was also raised there. That's where they first meet, and where she falls for him, and he falls for her. Through time, Barda becomes one of Granny's Furies and actually leads the female Furies. And Scott attempts to free, flee himself, free himself again and again. And eventually he does escape and Barda eventually goes with him, understanding that that is where she belongs on Earth, not here on Apocalypse, in living hell. So when you so when I say things like on Earth 2, Barda was loyal to Darkseid, it means that she never had that moment where she and Scott bonded and she sort of realized, hey, I don't want to be evil. I want to go live and fall in love on Earth with Scott. There are a number of Earth 2 uh, comics that were happening at the time during New 52. Barda's first appearance was in Earth 2 number 11 in June of 2013. She only has 23 appearances across the whole um, New 52 as in this version, but she was a pretty big part of Earth 2 World's End, which was uh, kind of the more relevant of the series that they had going there. And then Varda, of course, does finally appear on what you may call Prime or New Earth at the end of New 52's final Dark Side Wars arc. Earth-12 is what you might colloquially call the DC animated universe, and Barda has had a number of appearances there as well. She has been in Superman, the animated series, Batman Beyond, Justice League Unlimited, and more. She even becomes a member of Justice League Unlimited in time. Earth-22 is that hack Alex's Ross Kingdom Come series, back before he was a hack. <laughs> Barda was an ally of Superman in this series. Uh, her first appearance was Kingdom Come number two in June of 1996. Earth 24 is where you'll find the DC Bombshells, which is a very popular, uh, especially aesthetically popular group because of their kind of rockabilly designs. Barda first appeared in DC Comics Bombshells number 3 in December of 2015, where Big Barda Free is the Bombshell's chief handywoman. Previously, she was part of the Female Furies under the command of Granny Goodness, which I imagine is some team in that series. I haven't read it myself, uh, but she has 14 appearances there at Earth 24 for the Bombshells. Earth 55 is Tom Taylor's deceased Earth <laughs> uh, or universe. It is 
really fantastic. Her first appearance was Deceased number 1 in July of 2019, and she and Scott pretty much starred in the A Good Day to Die. I believe it was one-shot or trio of issues, uh, but it was a very good one, and they fall victim to the plague, basically, uh, during those issues. But, however, spoiler alert, recently, um, their son Jacob was on New Genesis, and I don't know if at least where I've read up to, if I've caught up with what happened with Jacob yet, but um, I do know that Barda and Scott were revived. They have a cure for the, basically, anti-life virus, which is pretty much what's happened here, and um, Barda is back, baby! I'm I'm pretty sure she's probably gonna die. <laughs> I don't know if she's gonna make it through the series. I've already come to the conclusion that she had died in this, so I'm not brokenhearted by it anymore. Earth 898 is the nail, which I'm sorry, but I could not find more information on. I will be keeping my ears open from the future, though. And Earth 16 is another animated universe, this one for the Young Justice TV series. Barda's first appearance here was in Influence, an episode that was season 3, episode 14, in July of 2019, and she has been voiced by Grey Delisle, I believe is how you would say that name. As far as I recall, Young Justice is kaput, which is extremely sad because the last, literally the last thing we saw in that series was going to kick off the next, uh, the next arc, which was going to go in two different directions. One direction was going to be Heroes in Crisis, which I was super here for, and the other direction was going to be the Female Furies, but it was not the Female Furies that we're going to talk about in this episode when we get there. It was a Female Furies that was made up of, uh, let's see, it was Kara Zor-El, who had been raised on Apocalypse, and then it was Mary Marvel, and it was Big Barda. So yeah, that was killer. I would have literally paid a lot of money to to see that team. Um be it in the comic or in the show. I, I, I really, really wanted to see where that was going to go from here. But, alas, shit happens. On a slightly entertaining note, Earth-31 is the Frank Miller Dark Knight Strikes Again universe. Barda did appear here. She <laughs> is... You're going to get a kick out of this one. Her first appearance was in Dark Knight Strikes Again number 3 in 2002. She was mentioned, but never seen, in the 1986 Dark Knight Returns book. However, um, her character here in the Dark Knight universe was a porn star who I believe had turned into a fighter. Um, yeah, her, her name was, um, her name was Hotgates, which apparently was a reference to, um, the Battle of Thermopylae, which was the theme of the, uh, 300 comic book. So, good for you, Frank Miller. <laughs> It was a very different take on Barda for certain. She also is in the DC Superhero Girls TV shows. Uh, she was in the TV special Superhero High, as well as the movies Hero of the Year, Intergalactic Games, and Legends of Atlantis. She is voiced for the Superhero Girls universe by Misty Lee. As a member of the Female Furies, Barda was summoned by Granny Goodness from Superhero High to help capture the powerful Amethyst and allow for Darkseid to conquer the planet. The Furies are eventually defeated by the combined efforts of the students and sent through a boom tube to Belrev. 
or Belle Reeve. I, it depends on who you ask. Big Barter shows an interest in leaving the Furies to attend Superhero High. And finally, DC Future State, which happened, what was that, the beginning of 2021. She appeared in Future State, the next Batman, issues two and four. During the Magistrate's reign over Gotham City, Barter was captured and held in one of their detention facilities. While she was there, she was uh, defending the powerless Jimmy Olsen from the facility's other dangerous prisons. She later helped rebel against the Magistrate and free the prisoners. In Future State Suicide Squad issue 2, it is hundreds of years down the line, uh, having returned to her home of the fourth world, Barda ascended to the throne of New Genesis as its high mother. She joined the quintessence and tried to protect the multiverse from the unkindness. I love that. She was high mother. That kills. And then finally, Future State Immortal Wonder Woman at number one. Even later, at the end of time, New Genesis is destroyed by an undoing, leaving Barda's former master Darkseid as the High Father of the New Gods. Big Barda pleaded with him to try and stop the undoing, but Darkseid refused, leaving both Barda and all of Apocalypse to die. So there's two 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 potential futures there, and those last two: one with Barda becoming a High Mother, and one with Darkseid becoming High Father. As I have been able to track them down, there are roughly eight statues and action figures that you can collect for the character of Big Barda. I don't have the years that these came out. Some of them are much older than others. I don't think there's anything particularly new in this list, to be honest. Uh, let's see, we have DC Direct made the Women of DC Universe mini bust of Big Barda, which, if I'm not mistaken, is based off of an Adam Hughes drawing. DC Collectibles made the DC Bombshells Big Barda resin statue, which might be my favorite of her collectible items, aside from the one that I actually own, which is the DC Direct New Gods Series 2 7-inch Big Barda. She comes with her Mega Rod and a little stand. I have not taken her out of the box. I found her for like $25 at a mall. She goes for like 80. I was thrilled. Uh, and then we also have the DC Universe Big Barda by DC Collectibles, which is just a loose action, not a loose action figure. It's just a standard action figure with two different heads. There is a Mr. Miracle and Big Barda DC Direct Deluxe action figure set, which also includes the character of Oberon. It's a three-pack. There is the Justice League Unlimited Big Barda action figure, which is from the Justice League Unlimited TV show and has the Bruce Tim features. And then we have the Hero Clicks. I don't know what Hero Clicks is, but they did a Big Barda. It was uh, issuance number 52. And finally, something over in England that I guess they did for a while was DC Comics Superhero Collection. Uh, they would put out a figurine and a comic book. Big Barda was issuance number 76. As with many Kirby creations, Barda does have a really fun creation story. So on Barda's creation by Jack Kirby, here's what I've got. Kirby's assistants, assistant, and you will hear this name a number of times through the podcast, Mark Evanier said that Barda was modeled on model Lainey Kazan and her relationship with Mr. Miracle mirrored the one Kirby had with his own wife, Roz. 
And this is a quote. In the case of Big Barda, the visual started with Lainey, but all the personality and style was one of the many ways Jack viewed his spouse, Roz, especially the scenes where Barda would fiercely be protective of Scott, Mr. Miracle free. Jack, of course, saw himself as Mr. Miracle, though the notion of the character, who was a super escape artist, had started when writer-artist Jim Steranko told Jack about one of his previous careers. To some extent, Jack saw himself as all the decent characters he drew, and even the villain sometimes reflected aspects of himself of which he was not so proud. Big Barda is one of Kirby's greatest creations, and her relationship with Mr. Miracle is a great example of an enduring love story. Now, from the words of Mark Evanier himself, from his blog, which I also have linked in my links below... When the October 1970 issue of Playboy arrived at the Kirby house, Jack smiled to see Lainey Kazan in it, sans wardrobe. He thought she was a beautiful lady, and while Jack didn't necessarily prefer a large, formidable woman over any other, he did appreciate the beauty in that body type. It got him to thinking about concocting a superheroine who looked like she could do the feats of strength that Wonder Woman or Supergirl did with more dainty physiques. The creation of Barda began that day and was complete within days. The visual started with Lainey, but with all the personality but all the personality and style was one of the many ways Jack views his spouse, Roz, especially the scenes where Barda would be fiercely protective of Scott, Mr. Miracle Free. Jack, of course uh we already got that one. Jack, of course, s- saw himself as Mr. Miracle, the notion of the character who was super escape artist, Jim Skrenko, and his previous careers. Jack always started in reality and then moved way past it. He even moved past Lady Kazan. When he wrote dialogue for Darkseid, and to some extent when he drew the character's body language or expression, he had some qualities of Jack Palance in mind. And that's the end of that quote. For a character with a long and vast history of being included in major events and whatnot, Barda is not nearly as known and kind of generally popular as you would expect, and that does go even for her husband, Scott. These days, I would even argue that Barda might be more popular than Scott Free has ever been. I have a theory on that, but we can get to that in a little bit when we talk about their uh, more recent stuff in, in comics. As for Barda's abilities, she is a new god. Therefore, Barda was born close to the source, which is the place in the universe that is the origin of all things. Because of this, she has powers beyond that of a normal person. Her strength and agility are said to be on par of that with Superman or Wonder Woman. She's even able to shrug off most wounds and is immune to poisons and toxins. In fact, it it is quite possible that she is, like many new gods, an immortal. Due to the new gods being genetically enhanced thanks to that connection to the source, Barda boasts a strength, durability, and invulnerability along the lines of Wonder Woman. In fact, she comes off like a galactic Amazon warrior who's impervious to poisons, blasts, and even mind control at times. With such a high resistance, she's a one-woman army, with her swordsmanship and wrestling skills making her arguably the best female brawler in the universe. She has a new god physiology, a sense of immortality, being that she was born in the human years in the year 1748 and has only to this day having aged somewhat in the year of 30, as we might say, based on her appearance. She has superhuman durability. She is very difficult to damage, even outside of her armor. She has superhuman reflexes with that advanced physiology that allows her to move her whole body at incredible speeds with heightened accuracy. She has a superhuman stamina. She has 
also superhuman strength from her heritage as being a member of the new gods of New Genesis. Additional to that, though, she was later augmented by Darkseid to further increase her strength and stamina by at least 20-fold. Her strength is in the megaton range, nearly on the order of Wonder Woman's, able to lift a weight easily well surpassing 100 tons. Even beyond all of that, besides her natural gifts, Barda is a skilled leader and tactician. Her mastery of all armaments is second to none, though her weapon of choice is the Mega Rod, which is... It's like it's just imagine a power rod, just a rod with power. It's literally what it is. This apocalyptic weapon is used mostly as an unbreakable club for melee combat, but it can also fire, there we go, bolts of energy and control the gravitational density around an opponent, which we see a lot more in the older uh, kind of Mr. Miracle and Justice Society stuff, not so much in the modern comics. As for hand-to-hand -hand combat... Barda is a highly trained warrior and a master of all forms of hand-to-hand -hand combat with weapons. Barda is one of the most feared combatants on New, on New Genesis or on Earth. She has even managed to fight Wonder Woman to a draw. She is a wrestler, she has excellent weaponry skills, and she is a great dancer. Although, the reason that we know that is much darker than the others. Uh, plus, you can't forget about her battle armor, which not only increases her tremendous strength, but also her invulnerability. Her combat suit consists of apocalyptian armor, which makes her even more durable in battle. Her prized possession is the high-tech mega rod, which opens up boom tubes to teleport light years away. It can also be used for short bursts of flight and to generate energy blasts that she can use to take down the Man of Steel. This rod can also influence energy fields and gravity, making Barda quite a handful for her opponents. In addition to her physical conditioning, her mental robustness truly fashions her into a military strategist who can and help win almost any war. She is also among her various teams, almost always the one, if not always the one, who is chosen to train new members because she is just that good at it. She was an actual military leader on Apocalypse, being considered the leader, the general of the female Furies, uh, and being a trainer of the female Furies, she was pretty much their top tier warrior. So aside from all of that physical stuff that is just her, she also inc comes included with her in her battles the Mother Box, which uh, can be used to transport her and add power, Aero Discs, which is what Scott uses to kind of fly. She has a similar objects. She has her Apocalyptian armor. She can use boom tubes. She has her Mega Rod. She also uses occasionally a spear and sometimes even a shield. The best way to capture Barda's personality is really to read comics that Barda is in. A few here, a few there, at least a couple, a handful of every series that she's been in for any noteworthy amount of time, and you will have enough to capture a glimpse, glimpse, I can't believe I just did that, a glimpse of who Big Barda is. I'll give you the little rundown here after uh, or before I go into some brief details that I really love that I have personally come across while reading her history. After coming to understand their mission, Barda assists the Justice League when they believe her strength will be an asset. She's believed to be just as strong, tall, and expertly trained as Wonder Woman. The core difference between her Amazonian princess 
between the Amazonian princess and Barda is the morality of their training. Diana was trained to understand both war and peace. She uses her combat skills, however violent, only on missions that fight oppression. Barda later develops into the same sort of hero, but has to fall back on training once used to enforce a cruel status quo. This means Barda is constantly in conflict with her own hardwiring. Strangely, you wouldn't know it by watching her in battle. Barda keeps her composure, remaining tactical and level-headed. Readers rarely see her falter as time goes on. The ghosts of Barda's past don't jeopardize Justice League missions the way other heroes might. Barda's reliable nature comes from the fact that she respects her own mental well-being. She gave herself time to come to terms with Apocalypse and time to heal from the violence she witnessed and carried out. Furthermore, she didn't push herself too hard when coming to a new planet being Earth. She adapted. She grew. She figured out what she wanted and pursued it, allowing feelings of guilt and regret to fade away. The warriors of Apocalypse were not raised to waste time on useless emotions. It is likely that self-pity, guilt, and wallowing are useless in Barda's eyes. Instead of falling into their trap, she navigates through it, pushes forward, and takes all the time and space necessary to address them properly. It is only through this process that people are able to let go and move on, which is likely why Barda has never never appears clouded by her past. She has confronted her trauma and develops healthy ways of moving on. Also, Butter knows when her mental state is drifting into dark waters. Whenever she, whenever the darkness calls her back, she's unafraid to walk away, take a breather, and sort through her emotions before deciding how to move forward. In this way, she has mastered the wisdom that even the best superheroes tend to miss. Readers are off. Readers are used to stories used to stories in which heroes have to be told by their teammates when they are not in the right condition to fight. They have to be forced to sit out and typically resent the call. Barda is cut from a different cloth. Being an effective teammate means being in top physical and mental condition. To Barda, fighting with damaged psyche a warrior makes a warrior more of a liability than an asset. During her time on the Birds of Prey team, which was a lot shorter than I expected personally, she does become canonically a fan of Pokemon. I have seen that panel drift around the internet a few times. That is not a Gail Simone panel that actually took place in the issue after Gail Simone stopped writing issue 109 of Birds of Prey, the original series. But canonically, she is a fan of Pokemon. There is uh, kind of early on in the Justice League America that she, the, the parts that she is in, the team ends up having to go to Apocalypse to rescue Scott. In the process of the rescue mission, she ends up going back to the Granny Goodness Orphanage, one of the ones I believe that she was actually raised at. It's a terrible place. She has a lot of emotions going on. She is extremely distraught at seeing the children who are still being raised there in that terrible state. At one point, the children actually fight against Barda because they've been raised to be basically a guerrilla army of children for Grammy goodness, Granny Goodness. That's what they think should be happening. They do recognize Barda, though, and uh, they ask her why she's here, why she's fighting them, because she was the greatest warrior of Apocalypse, right? So Barda explains uh, that she left and she found love with Scott. Love? These children don't know that word. They ask her what that means, and so Barda explains, and this is what she says. It's what you... It's what you feel for your little ones. The fear for their safety and the happiness that they're here with you. 
It's need and want for something to care for you as you care for them. It's knowing that someone does care. Love is being loved. She later continues and says, everyone needs love, especially the strong, especially those who fear it most. And she embraces the little girl. There's another point that while Granny Goodness is still trying to uh, capture Scott and or Barda, either one if you can get them from Earth and bring them back to Apocalypse when they first run away, uh, she sends an army of parademons and like demon cops to get them and Barda suits up and she yells, earn your pay you dogs, because she's really just that much of a badass. And to, like, even give a little bit of contradiction to that, she's still a very gentle giant. She is she is a badass, but she is has the um, motherly instinct, even if she doesn't think she does, because she does become a nursery school teacher, I believe, in the second volume of Mr. Miracle, while Scott is off um, on one side, he's doing Justice Society or Justice League America stuff, and on the other side... He's doing Mr. Miracle tour shows. So she's pretty much left on her own. We'll talk more about that kind of stuff later. But she becomes a nursery school teacher and she takes care of children, which is not something that you would expect a battle-strengthened warrior to really want to do. But she does and she continues to kind of fall for children as being the hope for the future. And kind of just a fun fact, even that Pokemon example I gave... That was also her bonding with a child. I, I, she she has she she's very good with children. It kind of reminds me of myself in a way. I personally I do not want children. Children like me though, and it tends to be this big thing of like people don't expect me to be good with kids because I am myself a little like Barda. I have very broad shoulders and um you know <laughs> I'm much taller than the average uh, woman here. I'm a little bit rough sometimes. I don't mean to be. It's just how I am. But I tend to be pretty good with kids, so there you go. I It's just another reason why I love Barda. Although I will say Barda does want kids. We'll talk more about that as we continue on. Next up is Barda's outfits and physical appearance. As we already discussed, she was based on model Lainey Kazan. Uh, the characterization between Mr. Miracle and Barda was largely based with loosened tongue on... <laughs> with tongue-in-cheek, I don't know why I said loose in tongue, um, on interplay between Kirby and his wife, Roz. Now, the official DC wiki pages all say that she is six foot two, 197 pounds, with blue eyes and black hair. Most of those points are agreed on on all sites, but some sites say seven feet tall, which would then make her the tallest female superhero who does not have the ability to uh, change her size and proportions on command like Giganta and as I already mentioned she may not look it but Barda is 250 years old she was born in earth time 1700s now as for her outfit her battle outfit that she wears what we might call the Furies uniform there's a couple of different versions that we see of it the first version um chronologically that she gets um in in her own life chronologically is the specifically the army of the general of the female furies which is a little bit more military looking than the one that she starts to wear uh when she shows up on earth as her battle armor there We'll call that her post-apocalypse armor because it's funny. So for the post-apocalypse armor, there is still quite a lot, and by a lot I mean a ton of room of variation. I'm not sure how it works with 
Um, especially back in the day, I don't think there were any guidelines of this is how this character's outfit looks and these are like the specs of how you draw it. I don't think there was anything like that because of the, <laughs> the amount of variation, especially like pre, let's say 1990 in comic characters' outfits was practically from issue to issue, even if it had the same artist. It was they were just doing what they felt like for the outfit today, you know? But basically, uh, her armor in general is a, like, blue scales with kind of like a yellow and red and black um, portions over it. And the yellow is sometimes gold, sometimes metal. Uh, the, the, por the portion that goes around her waist is sometimes like bikini bottoms, sometimes like a skirt, um, sometimes like a cheerleading skirt. You know, it all depends on who's drawing it. Her helmet sometimes look looks... Now, I don't have any confirmation on the original design of the helmet. I feel like I probably could find somebody if I really annoyed a lot of older artists and writers in the industry. But um, I feel like it's always it's been very Mongolian in the look of her helmet. Even her facial features, I always felt, were very Mongolian in the way that Kirby and Atal drew her. But you'll see a lot of variation in the helmet. Sometimes it will look a lot more uh, Kirby-esque, which was kind of a bit more big and round and bulbous. Sometimes it will look more like head tails, you know, almost like a Twi'lek. Um, sometimes the horns that come off the helmet are more like horns, and sometimes they are just like golden bars. You know, it really, again, depends a lot on who the artist is who's drawing her and what the era is and what's kind of been popular for her look in that era. I will say uh, I know for a fact that the wrestling outfit that she wears, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, has appeared twice in exactly the same way because um, the artist Megan Hetrick, who did the modern version of it, used one-to-one -one, uh, examples from the issue where we first saw her wrestling outfit. So that one, you can actually just point out and identify. As for the other of her uh, post-apocalyptic armor looks, it depends on just who felt like doing what that day. <laughs> the only thing that really remains firmly in place is where color, what, what colors go where, and the fact that she has the helmet and has a flowing red cape, which I have always really loved. Uh, the other very known outfit that she has is what I will call her show suit. Um, it's most commonly described as a bikini. It is a sort of um, uh, new gods take on a red bikini swimsuit sort of thing. Um, very curvy-esque in the design features being odd and visually unnecessary um but it's a but it's a fun outfit and it was kirby's way of kind of making barda this very sexually attractive woman by putting her in a bikini while she carries around you know i think it was a tractor or something you know um and does these great feats and for a while that's what she would wear um as kind of the assistant in scott's escape artist shows when they first go to earth which is what they do she ends up being his assistant that's all before they get married and everything. So uh, so originally that red bikini that she wears is like her magic show assistant outfit. And then she kind of, it pops up in other times for various reasons. I'm sure it pops up in their bedroom a whole lot knowing their relationship. 
and it still pops up in stuff that she's in to this day, uh, with very with with probably far less variations than her post post apocalyptic armor does. As for day-to-day fashion that Barda would wear in the various comics that she would appear in on Earth, um, it was a pretty big trend at the time to include modern women's fashion in comic books. The romance comics of the 60s through basically the 80s show excellent examples of all of this. Fashion was another way to blend Barda in with Earthers and also show the uniqueness of her strong character. For the most part, all of this has been pre-Marvel's She-Hulk being a popular character. She, you know, Sensational She-Hulk didn't come out until 1989, and that was probably when you, the first time that you get on the other side of things there at Marvel, the big bulky character who is also quite fashionable. Barda did it first. And I love She-Hulk, but I can say that confidently, Barda did it first. I'm going to be posting an image post, as I usually do, along with this special. I highly encourage you to go through that and check out some of the outfits that she would wear, especially in the older comics, uh, the original Mr. Miracle series, the second Mr. Miracle series, you know, Justice League International, Justice Society of America, wh- whichever ones they are. Um, I, I gathered as many images of Barda in layman's clothes, as you might say, as I could, just to uh, kind of show you the sense of fashion and normalcy that they were trying to give her with her fashion. Also, one particular outfit that I just wanted to note, there is a scene in probably one of my favorite issues of all time with Barda, Miss Miracle Volume 2, number 25. It's that wrestling issue that I was just mentioning earlier. She wears a crop top tank in this one that says, I kick Lobo's butt across the galaxy. And it's funny because a few issues before that, she really did. Through the ages, Barda has been on a number of teams, both heroic and evil. Um, The New Gods, I'm not sure I would really call a team. It's more of just like a connected grouping. There are a lot of familiar characters you may know, like High Father, Ryan, uh, Beautiful Dreamer, uh, Light Ray, Metron characters like that that were all part of Jack Kirby's fourth world, they are all uh, new gods just like Barda Barda was, is, is. Her original team would have been the female Furies when she was still working for Darkseid and Granny Goodness on Apocalypse. Aureli was the original female Fury. Now there's a lot of places that list her as being created um, in the Female Furies series by Cecil Castellucci. That is false. She was a Jack Kirby creation. Jack Kirby also was the one who created the format of her death, uh, which was pretty awful and violent, which I will talk about when I talk about the Female Furies series. So Aureli was the original leader, and then after her death, Barda becomes the leader alongside uh, fellow teammates Bernadette, Lashina, Mad Harriet, and Stompa. Now, just like Big Barda, all of these characters are pretty cliches, uh, pretty cliched based on their names. Lashina is uh, kind of wrapped up in various ropes, almost bondage style, and she uses uh, they call it lashes, but it's like basically strings of ribbons to fight with. Uh, Bernadette is this weird, like uptight character in a Victorian, gr- like dark green uh, suit with kind of like like um, the hair of uh, what's his name. Uh, 
Clarion the Witch Boy. She looks like Clarion the Witch Boy in like a green Victorian dress. That's Bernadette. Mad Harriet is she looks crazy. She's got crazy hair and long crazy nails. And then Stompa is big and fat with very large feet. And it's all very cliches, you know? <laughs> they did their best with names back then. It's fine. Big Barda would not have been called Big Barda today. We know that. <laughs> But that was her original Furies team, who uh, she more or less trained with and trained. So then she was part of Justice League International, which in time splits up into being Justice League Europe and Justice League America, um, at which point the team is uh, sort of with Barda as like the member who they bring in every couple of issues to help out with stuff because they're too afraid to call her a real member of the team or something. I don't know. But uh, more or less, the main members of the team when she was around included Dr. Fate, Batman, Mr. Miracle, her husband, of course, Guy Gardner, Green Lantern, which actually at a certain point became Nort Green Lantern, who was like the weird fox guy, uh, Ted Cord, Blue Beetle, Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Shazam, Black Canary, Dr. Light, who was the good Dr. Light, Kimio Hoshi, and Oberon at times. Captain Adam and Rocket Red joined as uh, Dr. Fate and Shazam left, so they became members as well. I don't know why this place I looked at didn't have Nort in the list, because I he was an annoying member, but he was still a member. And also, you know what? So was Martian Manhunter. Uh, and Fire and Ice. Yeah, I don't know why they're not on this list that I found, but yeah, all of them too. But then moving on to the Birds of Prey, her teammates, and this was roughly Birds of Prey, the original series, 100 through 109-ish. Um, her teammates were Black Canary, Black Canary, Oracle, Barda, obviously, Judo Master, Lady Blackcott, Huntress, and Manhunter. Not Martian Manhunter, just Manhunter. It's a different character altogether, and it's also a female character. That series and Barda's part in it is mainly attributed to Gail Simone. However, as I said, it is issue 108 where Gail Simone's run ends. Issue 109 is where Barda becomes a fan of Pokemon. And my personal favorite team that she is a part of is the wrestling team. They are either called, depending on which issue you're reading, Bad and Beautiful or Babes of Body Slam. Uh, Bad and Beautiful was from Mr. Miracle Volume 2, number 25, where Barda joined a wrestling group. Uh, and then Babes of Body Slam was a wrestling team for charity. I'm not sure if it was supposed to be like a flashback to uh, this moment or what. I assume that it is, but that is from the DC Pride 2022B story. Notable members of the Babes of Body Slam and Bad and Beautiful wrestling teams are Nubia, who had a one-time appearance. Um, I put Titania here, but I think I meant Giganta is her name. And then you have the original characters who are uh, Pulsatan, Pythona, Amazon Angel, Betsy Body Slam, Mama Mound, and Rowena. As a character with such a long history at DC Comics, of course, Barda has encountered quite a number of characters repeatedly and has formed certain relationships with them. So we're going to talk about who her apocalyptic uh, relationships are both good and bad, and then her allies, uh, and then some other characters, and the one other potential romance that there was almost, and why it was so messed up. With her apocalyptic 
relationships. I have a few that I'm going to expand on, um, but the some of the other relationships that I won't expand quite so much on include Steppenwolf, Calabac, who she wins in a fight on Earth, Dr. Bedlam, same, but a lot of really bad stuff happens first, Desaad, who is like Darkseid's right-hand man, and then of course Darkseid himself, which I feel like there's so much known about him I don't have to explain <laughs> what the relationship would have been like it wouldn't have been a very positive or good one uh but with granny goodness we'll expand a little on her her motto in the orphanage was die for dark side that's wholesome isn't it uh she tries to attack barda and scott on earth a number of times in their own home causing them to have to move repeatedly she's even the main instigator behind barda's wrestling career enemies having wanted to humiliate her even as she watches barda win over her agents she curses her for being her greatest fury as for the furies themselves there's stampa mad harriet lashina um Aureli, she was their original leader, and then Bernadette. They were all trained by Barda, their best and brightest, and then their new team leader after Aureli's death. The live Aureli was the first leader of the group and was forced to accept the advances of the vile Willick until he has done with her and kill was done with her and killed her with white hot steel boots. Yeah, he he had these steel boots that were like in a furnace and then he put them on her and forced her to dance until she died T true story thanks jack kirby um big barda began to first doubt her place with the furies when she saw aureli so cruelly murdered thus when willick made advances on her she and the other furies shoved him into a literal black hole heck yeah feminism Bernadette, um, as for her, Lashina, Bernadette Stampa, and Mad Harriet attended the birth of Jacob Free, the son of Big Barda and Mr. Miracle. Bernadette's foreign knife was the only tool able to free their child from Barda's indestructible umbilical cord. Mr. Miracle thanked Bar Bernadette for her assistance, to which she replied she would kill him the next time she saw him. Finally, during the Dark Side War... Darkseid Wars, the Furies agreed to assist Big Barda in defeating Darkseid's daughter Grail in exchange for Big Barda returning to the Furies' ranks, which didn't really matter after that because the universe reset. And then there is Big Brita, who is Barda's mother. <laughs> what a name, that one. Big Brita. Yeah. Um, she's Barda's mother. She only has one appearance in DC Comics, and that is, I believe, issue 28 of Mr. Miracle Volume 2, when she is revealed to be, in fact, Barda's mother. She gets sent to Earth to try and take Barda back to Apocalypse with her. They fight, and then she kind of recognizes in herself a love for her daughter and stops fighting her and starts fighting for her. Uh, however, I think she ends up getting sent away in the end anyway. Barda's father was notably a man that she had actually loved, as opposed to being taken as an egg and fertilized by whomever Darkseid commanded, which was how children on Apocalypse were usually born and created. Barda was a natural conception and Breda's first, which feels quite relevant. And then we have the character of Little Barda, who we don't have too much information about, <laughs> except for the fact that she was raised on Apocalypse and saw Barda as her hero. And so she wanted to grow up and be just like her. And so eventually she comes to Earth and is, I believe she, she either joins or fights the Teen Titans and calls herself Little Barda. But as far as I know, the two never meet and she's not even aware of a Little Barda. Among the ranks of her allies, Barda's allies, 
are included the New Gods, the Birds of Prey, the Justice League America slash International, uh, as well as some other fun hero characters. So let's go over those. Uh, Orion is, of course, the son of Darkseid who was raised by Highfather. We'll talk a little bit more how he and Barda are very similar when we get further down the list here. As for Highfather, he is, of course, her actual father-in-law. He's extremely complimentary of Barda from the very start. He even lives with the couple for a while in the second Mr. Miracle series. It actually becomes a bit of a point of stress in their relationship because Scott's father won't stop just showing up. <laughs> That being said, Highfather does go with Barda to her first wrestling match when Scott is away. He continues to support her wrestling career, even coming to her defense when she needs a little bit of extra um, inspiration. The, um, the relevance of Beautiful Dreamer is that she gave birth to her child at Barda's house for some reason. Um, it was kind of like this random thing. It happened in Mr. Miracle Volume 2, Issue 4, which is a story called Dark Days. Um, it was also the issue where Barda takes the job at nursery school, and the reasoning she gives is because kids are so special and fragile. But she doesn't believe she'll take, she has what it'll take to be a mother, and when Dreamer later goes into labor at their house, Barda ends up quoting the whole, I don't know nothing about birth and babies, because she knows, she says she knows more about how to kill, but not about how to bring life into the world, and the whole idea of that scares her to death. Dreamer's child is named Maya, and as she greets Maya, she tells her, maybe next time you come, you'll have a playmate. Which, as we all know, doesn't happen for a very long time, and now we're not really sure where we are with continuity, so... Maybe, maybe they'll meet. <laughs> For her superhero friends, the male superhero that she is probably closest with, aside from her own husband, is definitely Martian Manhunter. He ran in the, the various teams of Justice League, International of America, uh, etc. Society, you know, whichever ones, <laughs> whichever the team name they were going by at the time. He was he was always involved, pretty much. Um, Barda and John Jones got along really well because they have very similar kind of. I want to say stiff and appropriate sensibilities. To an extent, they are both battle-hardened beings from beyond that have come to Earth to try and better themselves. So they have somewhat familiar perspectives, and they recognize that familiarity in each other, and I think, personally, based on what I've read about the two of them together, respect the heck out of each other uh, in exactly the way that you would want teammates to respect and admire each other. <clears throat> Uh, the probably the next closest hero to Barda would be Fire, <laughs> um, at least from that particular run of Justice League teams. For Fire, she was Barda was the person who ended up training her um, because Fire at the time was going through some serious stuff. She had some kind of gene virus that was messing with her powers, um, and so the team decided that she needed to get holed up in their headquarters. And of course, that wasn't going to work because what girl wants to get holed up in headquarters when you are literally brimming with power? And so they decide that Barda is going to teach her, being a general of apocalypse, and she does an excellent job of doing it. And yet still, most lists of this team don't even include Barda's name, so go figure. 
Now for some other heroes and characters who Barda is close with or familiar with or has a relationship with. Starting with Supergirl in 2003's Superman, Batman number 11 by Jeff Loeb and Michael Turner. Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman come to Barda to ask for aid in rescuing Kara Zor-El from Apocalypse. Scott was on tour, so Barda leads the way with her boom tube and mega rod. I realize it sounds like boob tube. It's boom, boom, boom. Wonder Woman is another character she is close with. She and Barda remain a duo team when they rescue Supergirl from Apocalypse. Together, they fight the new female Furies, which are then led by Guillotina. While for a moment they do seem to be losing, Barda and Diana pull it together and use their wits and their weaponry to win in the end, and Barda is able to go home with Scott. When working with the JSA and fighting a new kind of threat, the enemy is able to revert the heroes into their ancestral forms. So Jon Jones can't retain his human form, and Bardish both shrinks and loses her confidence, regressing into being a human of apocalypse from thousands of years ago. Frankly, it was a little bit adorable. I think of it as Chibi Barda, and it was pretty kind of cute. Wonder Woman is Barda's ally in these trying times, and eventually is the one to free all of those heroes by using her compassionate nature. And that, of course, does include Barda. As for Batman, it's a little bit different. It's been shown time and time again that Barda pretty much has no time or patience for Batman's well, let's just say emo nature. From way back in the JLI days when he'd pop around, say something sarcastic and demeaning to the team, and leave, she never particularly liked it. She'll offer him help, medical or otherwise, and his downer responses just roll right off her. She has literally got no time for Bruce Wayne's stupid man shit. The character of Knockout is a female anti-hero, sort of, of sorts. <laughs> she was a one-time Fury, a one-time Secret Sixer, and um, cohort, I guess you would say, of Barda's. In Gail Simone's final arc of her Birds of Prey issues, which was issue 107 to 108, the Secret Six and the Birds of Prey end up hashing it out with their fists. Knockout, a former Fury, goes up against Big Barda. They pretty much fight until they can't anymore, and Barda calls her sister. It's only two issues later in 109 that Knockout is enraged over the idea of having lost to Barda and then discovers, which was written by Ton Bedard at the time, a killer out on the hunt for Barda who takes her out on instead. Barda is killed shortly after in Death of the New Gods number one by Infinity Man. The character of Misfit is a sort of one-time co-bird of prey. She mostly annoys Barda, it seems, but they also worked a few times as teammates. The character of Misfit is not one that I had been familiar with before researching Barda. She's pretty... She's interesting? <laughs> I can't quite I can't quite place her as, like, if she would fit canonically anywhere now. I don't think she would. Nubia is another friend of Barda's. In DC Pride 2022 by Stephanie Williams and Megan Hetrick, Nubia recounts how she broke the sword that her lover Io gave her before they first kissed. Barda solicited Nubia at the time for helping some women in need. Notably, she wears her bunny slippers and pajama shorts, just like she was designed uh, by for some of the original domestic free family content back in the day. The women in need were a charity, uh, was, it was about a charity wrestling match for supporting a women's shelter, which is the throwback to her wrestling days that I absolutely adore. 
The woman wrestlers, speaking of, in the Mr. Miracle 25 issue of second series, she discovers they're being threatened to look a certain, these wrestlers that she's on the team with now, are being threatened to look a certain way and act a certain way in addition to the throne fights so mobsters could bet on them and make a ton of cash. Barda takes obvious issue with this and comes to their defense, refusing to let them be threatened by anyone in any way anymore. The fights actually got more popular after this because they looked as real as they were. Even when she beats Mama Mound, she tells her that there is no shame in doing one's best. It becomes Barda mania and she gets all kinds of merch designed after her. Amazon Angel is given a magical girl to beat her up, and Barda is inspired by Highfather supporting her and rips it off, winning the fight anyway. And then we have Shiloh Norman, who is the third Mr. Miracle. Shiloh appeared in Mr. Miracle just as Jack Kirby's New Gods and Forever People were cancelled. Mr. Miracle took a new direction when Scott and Barda got a feisty new sidekick, a multi-talented prodigy. How they met, Shiloh Norman seeks the help of Mr. Miracle. After bringing his brother's killer to justice, Shiloh becomes the ward of Scott and Barda. Barda offers the boy the, quote, special powers training of her female furies and predicted one day he would become a junior Miracle. After Scott and Barda's marriage at issue 18 of the 1979 series, Shiloh stayed on Earth while the Freeze went back to New Genesis, and they didn't see one another for many years. It isn't until Mr. Miracle Volume 2, roughly around issue 20, that they will reunite with Shiloh, and Scott, wanting to retire from his profession, asks Shiloh if he wants to be the next Mr. Miracle in his place. That just leaves us with the romances of Barda, which, to kind of tie into the best couple in all of comic books, there aren't any besides Scott. There is no questioning, there is no infidelity, there is nothing like that for this couple. Um, they don't even have exes to think about, you know? <laughs> The one thing that does happen um, in an unfortunate turn of events is fairly early on in things, um, John Byrne got a hold of the Action Comics series, and one of the first things that he does is um, writes this character called Sleaze, <laughs> who he designed in every way to be a literal sleaze bag, um, and used his mind control powers to change Barda into a, like, gypsy dancer outfit and have her dance, like, belly dances and stuff for him. And then he got mad at her again and uh, somehow got Superman under his mind control and tried to make them have a sex tape together. I'm not even joking. What makes it worse, it all sounds very light and funny if you read it, you have Barda pleading, no, 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 I don't want this. Like, she is mentally aware of what's happening, but she can't control what he's having her body do. It is horrifying. And not in like, oh, wow, this is a great scary con. It is messed up. I don't know who okayed that, but dude. Dude, that's... You are literally writing a non-consensual sex tape here. Like, John Byrne needs to be stopped. <laughs> but anyway, that that's the only thing that comes anywhere close to being a potential romance outside of Barda and Scott Free's relationship. Um, however, in the Mark Schultz and Mike McCone Superman vs. Darkseid Apocalypse Now series, 
they meet up again, I don't know, reunite, whatever. It was 2003. John Henry Irons, aka Steel, had to be uh, fought for and freed from Darkseid's clutches. So he goes, so he being Clark, goes to Barda to borrow her equipment to go to Apocalypse, like her boom tube, her uh, mother box, which makes a boom tube. Uh, and she wants to join them, but Clark refuses. And then uh, he gives her the mother box, and she she gives him the mother box, and she trusts him to keep it safe. But then in Superman Batman number 12, uh, she or actually number 11, she argues with him that the last time he left her behind when he went to Apocalypse with her boom tube, and that will not be happening again. So she puts her foot down there, and that's about it. Next, I would like to touch on Cecil Castellucci's Female Furies. Um, now, this first section of what I'm going to write is, of what I'm going to read, is what I have written. And the second section is from a DC Comics News writer, Kelly Gaines. Uh, so I wrote this blurb after reading the series uh, when it first came out. It's six issues, and it changed my life and changed my complete understanding of the new gods and of the character of Barda, uh, and even Granny Goodness. Um, I very much recommend you reading it. As a woman who reads comics, this industry doesn't revolve around people like me as their target audience, which is something women are sadly used to. While we're welcome in this community, women are often seen as second-class comics nerds, as if our gender determines what our interests should be and how much of those interests we're allowed to know about. Clearly, this isn't the reality, and tons of women of all ages are interested and work and live their lives in comics, regardless of the male domination. This means that when something does get actively targeted towards female comic readers, it feels like a gift from the creators made just to us. To clarify, I'm talking about traditional comics themes and characters, but written to actively include female readers in the target audience. One recent example of this is the limited series Female Furies. It was set up for success among female, quote, sweaties like me from the start. Female-driven creative team, female leads, accurate female relationships, recognizable metaphors for our own society, and best of all, it was set with a backdrop of the classic DC Comics characters and stories, Hello Apocalypse. In fact, it even includes the original Jack Kirby source material from the old-school Mr. Miracle and New Gods books in the back of the collected edition. Needless to say, I tore through the volume in an afternoon, and it left me with chills. I loved it endlessly and want to breathe its spirit into every comic reader who will listen. But somehow, even through all of this, Female Furies is misunderstood. This book, to me, was incredible. From the first page, you, see, you can see what it's setting up, and I was in for the long haul immediately. The point the book makes is specific to the Furies, but also can be taken much more broadly in the sense of the female condition. The Furies and Granny Goodness are somewhat exaggerated metaphors for the women of our patriarchal society. Granny does the work, the men take the credit, and when she tries to stand up for self, herself, she's told to stop whining and trying to steal the spotlight. After a bloody battle, Darkseid comes to her and forces himself on her in the name of his worship. The, sheen, the scene is clear. As he makes his demands, she fights back, says no, leads even. He insists on being satiated, and she unwillingly, as if she had the choice in this scenario, obliges her god. Later, Granny is accused of seducing Darkseid to gain trust and position. She doesn't speak up for the truth, knowing how they'd make her sound. Her furies don't have it any better. After years of proving themselves to be far and above any of the men on Apocalypse, they are still consistently pushed back. Their leader is chosen by a minion of Darkseid to be his personal object. 
She loathes him, but due to his position, she's he's able to secret her away and repeatedly rape her. When she tries to stand up for herself, she's called a whore who's sleeping with him for the status, and that she was always asking for it. This man eventually tortures and kills her, but they still say she was asking for it. The point of this book is clear. So it disturbs me when I briefly Google the book, and the first thing I see is a YouTube review by a man titled, Dark Side Gets Hashtag Me Too'd. It took me a little while to actually pinpoint why this disgusts me so much. It's for two reasons. First, this man has attempted to illegitimize the entire Me Too movement by turning it into an adjective used humorously and condescendingly. Second, after supposedly reading this series and all its messages, what he walks away with is the fact that it's all about dark side, who must be pitied. The entire message of the book is completely escaped, has completely escaped this man so much that he committed the very crime the creator spent six issues elaborating on and describing. It's alarming to me that there are still people in the world that can have a situation as clear as that in Female Furies laid out before them and still have their first reaction to be the defense of the offending male characters. This shouldn't be confused as men versus women or a battle of the sexes. When some of us are made to suffer, the effects are felt for generations. In the end, the Furies are able to gather the women of Apocalypse on their side and push back for the many ages of unbalanced power and mistreatment. Together, they are able to step back and look at their situation as a whole, realize how unjust it is, and take the necessary steps to begin correction. Women are strong, but we are stronger together. That's the end of my part. Uh, this next part is by Kelly Gaines of DC Comics News. In this title, Aureli is the leader of the Female Furies. Barda faithfully follows Aureli's leadership, trusting that Granny Goodness's chosen favorite can overcome any challenge. Sadly, Aureli is thrown off by deep psychological wounds after a powerful man is allowed to repeatedly assault her. She initially tries to continue business as usual, but the trauma impacts her judgment and performance. These digressions eventually lead to Aureli's death. Despite the camaraderie, Barda did not believe Aureli when she confided in her and refused to address the clear warning signs of a friend in crisis. If Barda had listened and helped Aureli cope with what she was feeling instead of encouraging her to suppress and carry on, her former leader might still be alive. Though Female Furies is a recent title, it is impressively true to the core of Barda's character and the example she has represented from her earliest days. And the writer Ms. Gaines continues on, when she's not fighting, Barda still actively helps her community. Members of the Justice League often come to her for advice or to seek training before difficult missions. Barda is able to talk battle strategy in one moment and play blocks with her son the next. The sides of herself she values, the warrior, the mother, the wife, and the friend, all coexist harmoniously harmoniously in Barda. She was always the right in the right state of mind to fight injustice before she takes care of because she takes care of her mind and recognizes that life requires a balance of both pleasure and pain, difficulty and simplicity. In the battle between Apocalypse and Genesis, Barda witnesses the danger witness the danger of trying to build a world on extremes. She avoids making this mistake in her own life, much to the benefit of those around her. Barda is also a hero outside of the Justice League. She teaches self-defense classes for women and is a great ally and confidant to her husband, Mr. Miracle. When Scott's mind works against him, Barda supplies loving clarity to talk him through his pain. She supports his decisions and acknowledges that he needs space to make his own mistakes. When Scott's back is against a wall, Barda is right alongside him to help him pick up the pieces. In this way, Barda proves that being a superhero doesn't always mean suiting up for the big fight. Sometimes it's showing support for someone you love, or sharing a valuable skill with neighbors in need. 
For many comic book readers, superheroes represent the best parts of ourselves. Drive, ambition, courage, and selflessness are all crucial pieces of being an exceptional person. All of these things are present in Barda. The drive to move forward, the ambition to build something good, the courage to start anew and face her demons, and the selflessness to share her wisdom with the world. She is a prime example of a superhero with healthy habits, which makes her one of the most important depictions readers can see. With any luck, the upcoming movie, All, will bring her message of balance and self-care to a larger audience. Take it from Barda, it's difficult to save anyone if you have not saved yourself first. Obviously, that movie was cancelled. That movie is not happening, but... Let's move on. This leads us into the couple history chunk of the podcast, focusing somewhat on Barda, yes, still. Uh, two obviously come from Jack Kirby's Fourth World, which originally consisted of four comic books, The New Gods, Mr. Miracle, The Forever People, and yes, Jimmy, <laughs> Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, for whatever reason. Uh, now on Scott and Barda's origin. Mr. Miracle and Big Barda both came from the mind of Jack Kirby as part of his legendary Fourth World saga for DC Comics. The new god known as Scott Free is Highfather's son, given to Darkseid in exchange for Darkseid's own, Orion, in an attempt to broker peace between their two warring worlds. Scott grows up in the world world apocalypse, raised by part torturer, part general, part mother figure Granny Goodness, whose main goal is to torture the children of Apocalypse until they become the perfect soldiers for the armies of Apocalypse. This is where Scott first meets Barda. Barda is the fiercest warrior of Apocalypse, having risen through the ranks at Granny Goodness's orphanage to become the leader of the female Furies, the elite warriors of the planet. Throughout their shared adolescence in the pit, Barda often caught Scott in his escape attempts, but would let him go and, later, help him escape to Earth despite the severe punishment. She, too, eventually escapes to Earth and sticks around Scott, joining him in battle and showbiz. From here, the relationship blossoms. Scott is the only person who's shown Barda any semblance of a true companionship, for, and for the first time, they're able to spend alone time together. Within a few issues, they're getting married. Orion shows that biology isn't destiny, and Barda does too. Scott shows the human spirit's insistence on freedom. Barda and Orion are both great examples of nature versus nurture, being innately good or bad, and how hate is a taught motive. Uh, there was a Twitter comment from Elena Brooklyn in 2018. In all of his 70s works, when he presented the question of, is goodness nature or nurture, Kirby answered, I believe in humanity, that good people can exist if they struggle with an abusive environment like Scott or with their psychology like Orion. And Bart is somewhere between the two of them. During the Kirby-era New God series, where the backstories of both characters were first brought to light, Scott reveals that being with Barda is the first time in his life that he has been able to be himself without building up walls around him. As for their life post-marriage, their home life is something that really came into the light in the 80s with J.M. Dematis. Dematis, writing both Justice League International, where Scott and Barda are main characters, and a solo Mr. Miracle title, which was volume two. He, along with an amazing team of artists, showed the readers a deeper and more intimate look at Mr. Miracle and Barda, and the sheer intimacy of their moments together is just super cute. There are a number of points that I wanted to make in how uh, their relationship is a success. Uh, specifically, uh, one, two, three, four, five points. Uh, starting off with their marriage breaking the stereotypes. 
During the 1960s and 1970s, comics were full of stereotypes, such as damsels in distress. When Jack Kirby created his fourth world concept for DC, a character that went against every stereotype was Big Barda. The wife of Mr. Miracle, Barda was taller, stronger, and more intimidating than her husband. The reversal of a traditional relationship was unheard of at the time, which made Barda stand out even more. As a new god, Barda has superhuman strength that puts her on the same level as Superman and Wonder Woman. As a former leader of the female Furies, Barda is a master combatant. Her fighting skills is her fighting skill is so great that when she fought Wonder Woman hand to hand, it ended in a draw. Barda's weapon of choice is the Mega Rod, a rod capable of producing concussive blasts and dropping people as powerful as Superman. Barda could smash Scott Free to smithereens, and we could use more of that in comic books. The next point, they are openly attracted to one another and they act on it regularly. What I'm saying is they screwed a lot and they loved each other more for it. J.M. DeMatisse and Ian Gibson's Mr. Miracle Run, which was volume two, includes the couple's more intimate moments. There is some pillow talk in the very first issue of the series, where Scott jokes with Barda about the time they ended up on the lawn instead of the bed. Barda goes on to share how she finds it too good to be true to be laying in bed with her husband, Poist Coitus, post-coitus and having the luxury of letting her guard down, something she was unable to do while on Apocalypse. She also goes from silk robe to full-on battle armor as the conversation continues, and Scott reminds her of how much the armor turns him on. The importance of this scene is it provides a glimpse of the balancing act they're playing. It seems like Barda might be the one calling the shots for most of the time in their bedroom. It's pretty on-brand for her, too, especially because she always has some kind of agency. In a page from Mr. Miracle number 8 in 1989, Barda tosses Scott over her shoulder like a sack of potatoes and makes her way up the stairs of their home. She isn't a happy camper when the doorbell interrupts her quest to set little Scott free. Barda doesn't play when it comes to the one when it comes to the one-on-one time with her husband, and she never has. Even in the much earlier issues written by Jack Kirby, she was extremely she was extremely all about wanting time with Scott. Big Barda is almost always the one to remind Scott that everyone, including Batman, could wait until she finishes blowing his back out. Her motto, I, I didn't write this, I'm quoting somebody. Her motto is working hard and play harder, and Scott doesn't seem to mind at all. Where am I quoting this fun? You can find it in the sources. <laughs> Um, I think it's the one that says they have plenty of sex. That's, that's the one I'm quoting this from. More recently in Tom King's run of the Mr. Miracle series, the couple's intimacy is still very much a part of their story. There is even some bondage this time around. Barda ties Scott up, the great escape artist, and has her way with him. It's nice to see how some of these bondage techniques learned from Granny Goodness could be put to more satisfying use. One of the most important ingredients in any successful relationship is the expression of love and affection. However, as we know from the uh, the various love languages, this does not always mean physical touch, but loving words and actions. Indeed, even here, there is never a shortage of that with Scott and Barda. Almost every issue featuring the couple shows the genuine affection they share. It's not uncommon to find a panel of the two sharing a smile or a hug while congratulating each other on their victories or complimenting each other in passing. The next point is that love is equivalent to respect in their relationship. They check off every single box that goes with healthy and stable relationships. Their communication is stellar, due mostly to Barda's blunt and straightforward personality. She's a commander and a warrior. Running away from anything, enemies or emotions, just isn't her style. Barda is the one person on all of Apocalypse who Scott doesn't have to hide, didn't have to escape from growing up. She's 
one of the only, if not the only, person he trusts for a large part of his life. He showed her compassion, something natural for him, and in return she proves, both to Scott and to the reader, that goodness and love, something very unnatural for Barda, can overcome a lifetime of hatred, trauma, and straight-up evil. The pair give each other so much meaning in life that they've been through so much together. They are the quintessential ride-or-die couple. Barda is often very feisty and domineering, both when it comes to making decisions in battle alongside her husband and others, but also in terms of the relationship itself. While many men would stereotypically roll their eyes when their wife bothers them about not having enough time together because of work, Scott instead listens and takes her criticisms to heart with a smile and, more often than not, a goofy quip in return. The next point, their relationship features a healthy duality. Bard's experiences on Apocalypse caused her to retire as a superhero, and she and Scott relocated to New Hampshire. Although naive to Earth's customs, Barda relished her role as a wife and housekeeper, finding it a more peaceful life. However, when she was needed in battle, Barda suited up and joined the Justice League on several occasions. She also served with the Justice League of America, helping them to stop an alien invasion. Barda has acted as the heavy hitter for the Birds of Prey, showing her strength among other capable women. Having a home life is something that is very important to Barda, as she has so much of Apocalypse to unlearn, and so many years of smooching to catch up on with Scott, and it's a centerpiece of their story, no matter the run. It's the sense of domesticity and home life that really attracts the reader to their relationship. It's so natural and makes the characters more understandable and relatable. They may have two insanely powerful extra-dimensional, be two insanely powerful extra-dimensional heroes, but the thing that makes Scott and Barda, Barda so lovable is just how normal they are. They live in a condo, they deal with cooking dinner and paying bills, they work for their money and have friends over to visit. In more ways than one, these two gods are both more normal than someone totally human like Batman has ever been. And on the idea of couples arguing, this is a quote from comic book resources, which I usually hate. Mark Evanier and Steve Rude's Mr. Miracle special from 1987, uh, the root of the entire story is that of is that Scott and Barda get into a disagreement. Barda is concerned and doesn't want Scott risking his life with the flashy escapes for money anymore, despite them needing said money after Calabac destroys their house in a brawl. After their fight, and then prevailing in a hostage situation against Granny Goodness, the couple lick their wounds and come together to find a compromise, both leaving the experience with a new sense of empathy of where the other is coming from. In a slew of examples of Scott and Barda working through their problems, even occasionally doing so mid-battle, there is always a sense working of working towards a common goal, coming back together to find a way. And the last point that I have of Scott and Barda's relationship being extra special is that they are separate together. Their bond is stronger than anything as they go about their separate interests and lives. Scott is a, Scott with his escape act and tour and heroing, Barda with her occasional trip around the universe with her superheroes, with her wrestling, and with her uh, job at the preschool, since she often gets called in for backup whenever we see her. She had times... She had team-ups with Kryptonians, was a Birds of Prey heavy hitter, and all while Scott was off doing his own thing. Were they any less connected or in love? Not at all. It possibly even made them stronger.
That leads us to the Tom King and Mitch Garrett's Mr. Rarical series, which ran from 2017 to 2019. Now, importantly, this series is not DC Black Label, uh, which does leave how much of it is canon super much, very much in question, especially after Future State introduced their future daughter, who is supposedly at that point an only child. They had a son in this series, so you can see the confusion. Nobody really knows what's canon here. <laughs> However, the series did really put, in my opinion, King on the map permanently as a DC Comics writer, uh, and it is a 12-issue series. The emotions of both characters are especially high as they're fighting both mental illness as well as Darkseid's armies, their own repressed childhoods, and the continued attempt for oppressive rule by Darkseid through Scott's brother Orion. In the face of near-death, persecution, and even themselves, both characters rely on the trust within their, their love to steer them in the right way no matter the cost. The examples of love within acceptance continue as Barda is unrelenting in her support with the mental struggle that pains Scott through suicide attempts, questions of sanity, and deciding factors of both family and fate. Barda is affectionate, nurturing, and understanding of Scott's actions without question. They both grow within each other and lift each other up their their highest and lowest points because they are who they are and they love each other all for it. This next quote is from Mackenzie Piddick of Women Who Write About Comics. King does a great job of keeping and expanding on the domestic aspects of Barda and Scott's relationship. Showing us the less cute and more uncomfortable sides of their relationship is only making them even more relatable. Five, issue 5 opens with Scott telling Barda he'll go to war if she tells him to stay, which she dismisses she'll go to war if she tells him to say, which she dismisses as to not disobey direct orders. Then we get some nice BDSM scenes with Mr. Miracle all tied up, followed by the pair trying to spend their last day together as if it was their honeymoon. It's cute, it's sad, it's romantic. In the previous issue, Scott had been sentenced to death by Orion, who is now High Father. His literal last wish before Orion kills him is to be tied up by his wife. That's some sexy affirmation that Scott doesn't have to worry about escaping when Barda is the one in control, and then take her out for a romantic day. At the end of the issue, Barda kills the guard sent to take Scott to his death, telling him to stay, and he does. So they go to war with Orion and fight for their life together, talking about redoing their condo and smashing in faces. Barda tells Scott she's pregnant after smashing in Light Ray's head. I believe you, Scott Free, is what she says. He says he loves her. And she says, I believe you, Scott Free. But why might Barda not? Scott, already recovering from a failed suicide attempt, has proven on multiple occasions that he is ready to die. His willingness to go along with his execution before Barda tells him to stay is not only an act of submission, but one of love. If he were to escape his execution, no matter what, Barda would be involved and possibly killed, and that's not what he wants. He'll only live for her, but only if she wants him to. He can't make the same decision for her, so Scott gives Barda the chance to escape him, and she does what she's done and heads done before and heads into the mouth of the shark with Mr. Miracle to beat it to death from the inside out. After all they have been through in their 40-some years, they'll still go to war for each other. Their love is unconditional, whether they're fighting together through villains and demons or bickering about not having enough time to spend together. They're always going to be in one another's in the other's corner. To me, that is what makes them comics best couple. 
As another writer notes, we've seen time and time again in this book, sometimes the most insidious traps are the ones that don't look like anything at all. And just because something isn't literally reaching out and locks you with chains doesn't mean it's not seconds away from tying you down. This writer was also wanting to note that their son Jacob came into the world with a distinctly gray pallor to his skin. Birth may be the opposite of death, but even when new life is coming into the world, dark side always is. I do have to mention the failed Tom King, Ava DuVernay, New Gods project real briefly because it got canceled. R.I.P. Sad face. Uh, on Twitter, to make things even sadder, Ava DuVernay had decided Barda as her all-time favorite superhero character. How cool would that have been? They talked about how it was going to be Scott and Barda-centric. Tom King, who wrote the Mr. Miracle series, was going to be writing it. Ava DuVernay, who is great for various reasons, was going to be on board. She was on board. But basically, if you want the real story, um, according to DuVernay as well as King, it didn't end up happening because Scott, or sorry, Zack Snyder ended up pushing Darkseid into his Justice League re-release. And the studio didn't think that those two movies would fit together. So, yes, you pretty much can blame Zack Snyder for that movie's cancellation. I, for one, would have much rather have had a New Gods movie, like, so many times over. <laughs> so where does that leave Barda and her boo in 2023? Well, I asked myself the following questions, first off. Why Scott and Barda? They seem to be the one couple that all creators seem to agree to keep a loving, solid relationship for. Why them, but not others? I think it goes back to their origin, not just the fact that it was Jack Kirby who put them there, but the fact that it is undeniable psychology of that's just how things would work. Just like Harley and Ivy, these two rescued each other and fell in love. Why don't we see them enough? I think that it's a little bit too slice of life for comic books. Works really, really well in manga and anime, but for superhero, for cape shit, nah, really. You can't really do slice of life with cape shit. Um, I think they've tried before and I don't think it works out very well. I don't know. Maybe if you have an example of that working well, please, I would love to know. And why is it so hard for creators of written content to portray a good relationship like this? Is it just too easy for them to make drama? Well, as with what Kirby had said about his own creation of characters, and as his Mark Evanier, his assistant, had said about the creation of Kirby's characters, is Kirby tended to put his positive aspects into heroes and his negative aspects into villains. Um, in these days, people call that self-insertion, and people get really racist about creators of color putting characters of color and stuff because they say that's a self-insert character. Well, gee... You guys would never say that about Jack Kirby, so let's not do it about creators of color. Um, but yes, this is a definition of self-insertion, and that's fine, because that's how people write stories. But to answer the question of why is it so hard for creators to keep a relationship positive in comic books, I think they just let the, the nature of their own uh, faults get the best of them, and they want to show that in their characters, as dark as that might be. And is it possible to find someone like Barda found Scott? Yes. Uh, Scott and Barda are very different, but at the same time, they are very similar. Um, not to get super cheesy, my own husband and myself, though we had wildly different upbringings on literal opposite ends of the country and at different points, even continents. We came out to be very, very similar people with very similar goals, ideals, morals, desires from life, both long and short term. 
And finally, um, Mr. Miracle 2.0, the third of his name, um, that is, they had a future state, a DC future state title starring um, Shiloh, the third Mr. Miracle, right? Um, unfortunately, there was no Scott or Barda in that series. Uh, just some confusion about their evil daughter, which I don't think I finished that series because it was so confusing. But yeah, that's where we land, is nobody on the internet or possibly even at DC Comics itself can decide where the continuity of Scott and Barda landed us. Um, I'm not sure even Tom King knows if Scott is alive or dead, the way that he ended his Mr. Miracle series. Um, and personally, I think that's why nobody has touched them, is because somebody, everybody is too afraid to make the wrong conclusion <laughs> and have people be like, no, that's not right. Scott killed himself or no, that's right. You know, he, you know, whatever it is, you know, I, I think that's why we don't see too much of them is because everybody's like a little bit too afraid to take that next step and to make that decision of this is where we landed at the end of Mr. Miracle by Tom King. Now we're move forward. <laughs> it's been, it's been almost four years, guys. Can we move forward? Please give me Barda again. And something that's not a flashback and not like a single issue story. <laughs> Please. <laughs> that does wrap up the podcast. I just have one final segment that I want to put in here, um, which I quoted from a couple different things. The phrase dark side is, you will see it across various things, right? Um, what does it mean? What does it mean? Here we go. So from Revelation uh, 1.8 in the Bible, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's like a general vibe that, you, that you're supposed to be getting when you hear Dark Side is, okay? While made famous by the 2017 Tom King comic Mr. Miracle, the phrase Dark Side is first showed up in Rock of Ages by Grant Morrison back in the 90s. The phrase Dark Side is actually appeared first in Rock of Ages when Wally West first winds up in the future, the phrase appears on a propaganda poster in his office. But in that story, the Justice League accidentally traveled to a possible future in which Darkseid has acquired the anti-life equation and conquered the universe. In many ways, this story was Grant Morrison's attempt to give the original New God characters the definitive end that Jack Kirby had envisioned for them. Here is the original context. Right before he appears, he says the now iconic line of Darkseid is, Darkseid is being presented on the, is being presented to the crowd by Glorious Godfrey, Kirby's parody of anti-Semitic televangelists, specifically Billy Graham. Note that the last line that Godfrey speaks, who is your new god now and forever? It's a pun. As Darkseid is both a new god in the sense that he succeeds the old gods, but also the new god as he sees himself as the one and only god. When Darkseid says that he is, it's another play on words. He is, answers Godfrey's rhetorical question, but there's actually deeper meaning. The Abrahamic God has so many names, or other, or rather, he has no name and no face, but is referred to by many euphemism in the Torah, Bible, and Quran. And one of those is he who is. So when Darkseid says that Darkseid is, he is saying that he is both the God of his followers and also their God. Adding another layer to the meaning of the phrase dark side is, he who is, as the name of God, appears in the book of Revelation, known in Greek as the book of the Apocalypse, 
uh, Apocalypse, yeah. Darkseid rules from his throne in the world Apocalypse, I, we all know that. And the story with in which the phrase appears is essentially a revelation about the Apocalypse. The Mr. Miracle Tom King series makes parallels even clearer. The face of God is a phrase that appears in the book in connection with Darkseid and his son Orion. It's another reference to the Abrahamic face, which almost never depict God as having a face, which again emphasizes Darkseid isn't merely a god, but the god. In short, to wrap up Darkseid is, and this entire podcast as a whole, Darkseid is does not have a second part. Darkseid is everything that is and has been. Darkseid is God. Darkseid is absolute. Darkseid is.